Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Take out your Bibles, and we are going to John chapter 5. John is illustrating a truth that Jesus has explained. Jesus, uh, in in that wonderful passage, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus goes on to explain that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Uh, He that believeth is not condemned. He that believeth not, however, is condemned already. Because he had not believed in the only begotten Son of God. And so that's clear rejection. He's not talking about ignorance there. He's talking about clear rejection. It evidences uh, you're not coming. And then he said, and this is the condemnation. That men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Pardon the King James. That's how I got it. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be what? Reproved is the King James. Confronted and told to stop. Brought to the light and told to stop. In other words, people don't come to God when they don't want God to tell them no. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. Those come and turn away from the light. And then he talks about those who do the truth. He says those who come to the light, those who do, are the ones who do truth, who practice it, who live it. And he said those are the ones who all along, when they finally discover who he is, will say, I've, been, I've, I've tried to serve you in my heart all along. The issue is integrity. The issue is integrity. It's not, it's not ignorance, not anything else. It's the integrity of the heart. Those who want to know, those who are truly searching for God, when they see the light will come. We saw a man and his whole household who came to the light. Do you remember this? We saw, we saw uh, this royal official. His son was dying. He was in uh, Capernaum. The, the boy was in Capernaum. The, the, the father had walked 20 miles, mostly uphill, uh, to Cana, where he had heard Jesus was. Uh, obviously, we've got some kind of crowd going and ministry going. Uh, at whatever point he gets an opportunity, he comes to him and he says, he says, sir, you've got to come and pray for my little boy. He says, little boy, my little boy, he's dying. He's dying. Please come. And Jesus' response we saw was shocking. Uh, instead of being com- sort of nice to him and compassionate to him, Jesus says, you all, you, you won't believe anything till you've seen it. You know, in other words, where's your faith? And, and then he says, please, my boy's dying, come. And then Jesus refuses to come, simply says, your son lives. Remember this? And, and the man responded and put his foot on the path and began to walk home. He, 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 he believed. And then recall... When the the servants came up the trail, they said to him, Master, your son lives. And he said, when? Now he wants to know, did he recover or was it him? Was it his word? And they said, he said, when did he, he asked them, when did he start to get better? They said, he didn't start to get better. 
at 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon. Fever left instantly. And at the, then he knew that at the word of Jesus, his boy had been healed. And it says, and he believed. He moved from miracle faith to saving faith. And then as I told you, I think this is the family of Joanna and, and Husa. This is, this is the family, uh, and they became profound disciples of Jesus. They, they, they moved into devotion, from miracle faith to saving faith to true disciples' devotion. They supported financially uh, for the rest of Jesus' ministry. They supported him, and Joanna became a, a, a traveling disciple, I think, much of the time, traveling with him, and then was there, literally, one of the w few women that went out to the grave early Sunday morning on resurrection morning to put spices on the body. She's there with Mary Magdalene, the mom of that boy. Now, that, that we watched there a family come to the light, didn't we? We saw, and, and these are, these are they're, they're officers. I mean, he, he is, he's probably the finance officer for, one, for a hideous king. And yet, when he saw the light, he came and gave himself to the Lord. Today, we're going to watch another man have remarkable light. Almost as intense, almost as dramatic a light as what the royal official got. But he's going to react very differently. He's going to show us those who turn away from the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. Here we go. John chapter 5 will begin at verse 1, and I'll read down actually to verse 16. Then I'll read the rest later. After these things, the things I just told you, there was a feast of the Jews. Uh, we're not told which feast it is. I'm pretty sure it was Purim, and I'll, I'll tell you that in your daily Bible study. Don't, I'm not going to bother today. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the, waters, for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, Sir, I, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming down, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was on the Sabbath day. So the Jews, and when it says Jews, it's not talking about Jewish people. Everybody in the picture is Jewish. This is talking about the, the religious leaders uh, and the ultra-Orthodox, the, the, the Pharisees. We call them ultra-Orthodox today. It was the Pharisees. That, that They were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Uh, but he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. But the man who, uh, pardon me, they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? The man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away 
while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And I'll read the rest later on. All right, let's go to our text. You and I have been invited into a relationship with the one who created heaven and earth, with the one who formed us in our mother's womb and knows our thoughts before there is a word on our tongue, with the one who understands the deepest groanings in the human heart. We've been offered the opportunity to consult with him before we make decisions, to heed his warnings that there is danger ahead, and to be given wisdom to solve the most difficult problem or to heal the most troubled relationship. This is the one to whom we come, isn't it? The God of heaven and earth, with all knowledge and all grace and all power. The problem is that the right answer, his answer in situations, is often different from our answer. Have you noticed? What we would do, what we think is right, whom we would trust is often very different from what he would do, what he thinks is right, and whom he would trust in that particular situation. And that difference of opinion creates a real tension inside us. Time and again, we are forced to choose between what seems right or at least necessary to us, and what seems right to him. Now, you would think the choice would be easy. Of course, he knows the better way. But oddly, in the moment when the choice must be made, it is usually not easy at all, is it? It doesn't, really get, it doesn't get entirely easy over time either. You do get a track record. You do learn to, to, to trust and recognize that he's, he's right and you're generally wrong. That helps a lot. But for some reason, in the moment, it, it, it always has the thing of like, this seems so right, and the Lord's asking me to do this. And there is that inner tension inside, and sometimes it's really very difficult to do what God asks. I, I've come to, to be convinced that one sign that it is God's voice speaking to me is when I go, no, I don't want to do that. You know, the people who come up to me go, I just know this is God. I have such peace. I'm thinking, no, it couldn't possibly be. If it was, his God, if it was God, you wouldn't have any peace at all. <laughs> I'm really not joking about that entirely. I mean, there is, a, there is a peace, but I don't think most people are mature enough to recognize the difference. I think most people, when they say peace, they mean I'm relieved. I finally caved into this thing and I'm going to do it. That's what they mean by peace, relief. They don't understand the peace of the spirit, the, the, the deep, deep, sweet witness. They, they don't know the difference. They feel good about this, so they're going with it, and that's what they call peace. You will notice a tremendous amount of immaturity when people are trying to find the will of the Lord. And this is the tension, is God's will is so often the one thing we didn't want to do. It's, he's not perverse. He's right. He's right. <laughs> but it doesn't seem to our minds that way. It requires us to accept the fact that he knows something we don't and to trust that he is telling us what he's telling us to do. He's telling us to do this because he loves us, that it is for our good or at least 
for the good of someone else. There is no escaping this reality. Ongoing submission is the very essence of our walk with God. And it will be forever. We must be correctable. You hear this? This, this issue of the heart, this, this response of, of being submitted, of yielded, of being correctable by our God is something that's part of us in our walk with him forever. This is the life into which you enter and I enter. All right. Now, let me retell you in my own words the, the, the story that, that I read to you just a minute ago. On a visit to Jerusalem, Jesus passed by the pool of Bethesda. The, the word, the Hebrew there is Beth or house and chesed. You remember me telling you about the word chesed? I have to be careful about the communion table when I say it. It's, it's, it's in here. It's that cha. You want to try it? Chesed, yeah. It's a beautiful word. It, it's the word that's translated loving kindness, steadfast love, depending on the translation. What it means is promised love. It is love that I promise and covenant with you to give. Where do we see that uh, prominently in our culture? In marriage. Yeah, you stand there in front of God and promise, I will love you as long as I live. And, and she promises you, and I will love you as long as we live. Isn't that beautiful? That's promised love. It's chesed. And think of this, God has promised to love us in Christ. Hallelujah. So we have this covenant love. So there is that chesed. So it's Beth Chesed is that house of mercy, as the way it was translated, which is still located near the north gate into the temple complex. I say still, we go there. There's no mystery where this is. Uh, we go there each time. Uh, some of you who've come with me to Israel, it's that St. Anne's Church where we go inside and we sing and you hear the beautiful acoustics. We all listen to ourselves sing the doxology and all kinds of other things. Uh, it's just, a, there's a, a crusader church right there. Um, but there's next to it uh, a ravine. And uh, the ravine is full of archaeology. I mean, there's just, oh, it's just been, this is a very, very live spot. Uh, for, and, and up at the top of this little valley where there was a, uh, there's a creek sort of thing that runs through it when there's water. And there's, there was a temple to Asclepius, which is the god, that snake god, the whole thing, you know, all that. So healing and stuff has been associated with these waters uh, through all kinds of cultures. It's not just Israel. Uh, and then you've got, when you get there, you have these big, tall columns and arches and things. And that's what John, uh, John referred to when he said five porticos, five big colonnaded things with roofs over them that people get to get out of the sun, would get under those things and, and wait by that water. The water in those pools, which are filled by a small stream, were thought to have healing properties. So people with various illnesses would wait by the side of the pool. Five large roofs held up by stone columns had been erected to shelter those waiting beside the water. As he looked over the crowd, Jesus was drawn to help one man who had some sort of illness that left him so weak he couldn't move quickly. He'd been in that condition for 38 years, and Jesus felt led to heal him. He asked the man if he wanted to become whole, and he replied he did, but for that to happen, he would need someone to wait with him until the waters were stirred, and then, this is, the, this is a quote, throw me into the swimming pool. I don't, it, swimming pool. And, and it says throw, not, not sort of walk me down. It says balo. You know, you recognize the word ball? Yeah. 
Somebody needs to be, be there and then throw me into the pool. In other words, I'm going to get there first. So just grab the guy and heave and see if I can hit the water first. So that's his, that's his hope. That's what he's waiting for. Um, he, he didn't know who Jesus was, nor did he give any evidence that he had faith that a miracle was about to happen. Jesus did not challenge him to believe as he had the royal official in Cana. Notice this. He, he really went after the guy in Cana. He made, he made, you know, no, I'm not coming. You either believe my word or that's it. You know, he dealt with him. This fellow, he, he simply commanded him, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. Immediately, the man became whole. He didn't pick up his mat and become well. He became well and then picked up his mat. That's important because sometimes you're going to want to say, well, see, he had to take that step of faith, and when he picked up his mat, that's... No, it doesn't say that at all. It's quite clear. He was made well instantly. He then picked up his mat and walked. There's no evidence in that sense of him taking a step of faith. He's just well, and, but he did obey. And as was so often the case with Jesus, this healing took place on the Sabbath. Don't you sort of wish for his sake we could do it on a, on, on a different day? A day on which the law of Moses says people should rest, not work. It also even says because God rested on the Sabbath day, didn't he, when he was created. The man did what he was told to do. He picked up his mat and started walking. And while he was on his way, some religious leaders spotted him and confronted him for working on the Sabbath. Let me just stop a minute. This, this whole issue of working becomes very, very particular. What's work and what's not work? And so you begin to, you begin to define it downward to more and more things are work. You can walk this far and you can't carry this. And how much can you carry? If you go to Israel with this, uh, on, the, on the Sabbath, uh, there is all, in, always in public places a Sabbath elevator. And the Sabbath elevator will stop at every floor and the door will open. And uh, that is so that you don't have to do the work of pushing the button. I am, I'm not really putting it up for ridicule, I'm just, but I am saying that is the nature of where this goes. And so you don't, you don't, you don't have to push the button. That, that would be a work. But this way you just step on. It's, I guess it's okay to walk some. And you, you step on, and then the door will open for you. In that kind of climate, this guy is carrying his mat and walking home. That's just not okay. It was a serious offense if they wanted to press charges. The man's defense was basically, look, I'm healed and the person who healed me told me to do this. It's not my fault. I am just following orders. Uh, they then wanted a name. Not that there were lots of people running around Jerusalem performing such miracles. I bet they had a suspicion. Surely they had already guessed who it was. But they would need specifics if they were going to convict him in a religious trial. To their frustration, the man didn't know a name. There had been no time to ask Jesus, because he had, here's what, here's what the, the language says. It says, you know, he, he, he spoke him, pick up your mat and walk. The man's doing this. And as he does, Jesus ducked his head like this and went out through the crowd. It describes that kind of action. Duck and go. He just slipped right on out and he was gone before anybody knew where he went. 
they would need specifics if they were going to convict him in a religious trial. Okay, so he slipped away through the crowd before the man could ask him the question. The religious leaders let him go, at least for the moment, undoubtedly with a threat of some kind. My guess is, they said, you are, you are, you've done terrible sin. You need to go to the temple and make absolution. You need to make some kind of offering. You need to atone for this sin. Uh, you're, you're in serious trouble. Later on, Jesus found him in the temple. Pro he probably went there to offer a sacrifice for his sin of working on the Sabbath. And Jesus issued him a warning of his own. He said, behold, you have become whole. Do not keep on sinning anymore so that something worse does not happen to you. Now, the picture often is uh, there that, in other words, if you do it again, God's going to zap you even worse, you know, kind of thing with some other disease. That's not what's being implied here. This isn't a sin the man did 38 years ago, and then this happened to him. The language says he's been doing it all along. He's still doing it. Whatever it is, we're not told. And so Jesus says, stop it, or you'll have a much worse thing happen. What's the worst thing he's talking about? You'll perish and step across into eternity. Yeah, he's warning him about this future of his soul. He says, this needs to stop. You've been healed. That's good. But you need to get right with God. You are not right with God. He's warning him. Is there, there's another beautiful example of this. Remember, Jesus is in the temple. They bring, a, they bring a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery, and they throw her at his feet. Remember this? And they said, uh, the law says uh, this woman should die. She's been caught in the act of adultery. What do you say, Rabbi? What did he do? He, he, he says he knelt down, and he started writing in the dust. Uh, there's a whole thing there, by the way, in Jeremiah. Your name shall be written in the dust. But anyway, so he's writing in the dust, and then he says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And they, they left, it says, uh, they began to just sort of drift away from the oldest to the youngest. Remember that? Yeah, the old one's going, yeah, well, that wouldn't be me. Uh, you know, we got history. And, and so they, finally, there was no one left, and he looks at the woman, and he says, where are your accusers? She said, there's no one, Lord. And he said, well, neither do I accuse you, but he didn't end there. What did he say then? Go and sin no more. Don't keep it up. Now, see, he's merciful, isn't he? But he's also saying, stop it. Stop it. Are we correctable? Can God tell me to stop doing something I want to do? Does God have the right to tell me to stop sinning, to stop doing a behavior? Does God have a right to tell me that? Am I correctable? In other words, he gave the man a severe warning that he was not yet right with God. He must stop doing something he was doing and obey God. There is no mention of what that was. Actually, it doesn't matter. What matters is the man's response. He asked Jesus for his name. And then went directly to the religious authorities and reported him. He gave them information so they could build a list of accusations with which they could charge Jesus for blasphemy. And I don't believe it's possible to assume that the man didn't realize that he would get the person who healed him into trouble by reporting him. I think he knew it would 
I think he was glad it did. I think he was furious that Jesus had dared to correct him. Isn't that ugly? What an ugly exchange. 38 years, you're healed. And Jesus comes and finds you and says, you need to stop whatever this is. And the man says, you don't tell me. You don't talk to me like that. Nobody confronts me like that. He goes and reports him. In that religious climate, he had no doubt that Jesus was in trouble for this. He knew exactly what he was doing. He reported him. He got him in trouble because he dared to try to correct him. Jesus' defense. Now, the, the religious leaders show up. Let's go to John 5 again. I want to read you a few more verses. I want you to hear how Jesus defends himself. It's very, it's very uh, enlightening. I'll start at verse uh, 16, and then I'm going to go down to verse 20. But he, uh, for this reason, the Jews, these religious leaders, were persecuting Jesus uh, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is, is doing what? Say working again. On what day? Aha. My father's working on the Sabbath until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself what? Equal with God. And the Greek language is indisputable, iso. He is making himself equal with God. There is no doubt that Jesus claimed to be the divine son of God. He became a man, but he is the eternal divine son of God. Clear? Yeah, it isn't for everybody, but let's make it clear. Let's make it clear. There's no question about that. Let me, let me say this. The most fundamental Christian truth of all is that God hath begotten a son and sent him to die for us. This business of God wearing three hats and all that stuff is the spirit of Antichrist. It is the very thing that is attacked by the major religions. The essential Christian truth is that God hath begotten a son. I believe John wrote his gospel, and you'll notice how clear he is. His whole gospel is telling us who Jesus really is. Because people were already beginning to try to quibble on this. You look at, look at the book of Hebrews, it opens up and says he wasn't an angel. Why? Because some people were saying he's an, he was an angel. Some people were saying he's, he, he's, a, he's just a man. There are all kinds of discussions. So John writes this and goes, oh, no, he wasn't. Oh, no, he wasn't. He was the son of God, the eternal son of God. He's the word who was with God in the beginning. He, he's explaining to us the truth of Jesus Christ. So here, now listen to what, okay, he's made, verse 19 now. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. What's the charge against him? Working on the Sabbath. And he says, I just did 
what I saw the Father do. Look at, the, look at the discussion there. Jesus defended himself when these religious leaders accused him of violating the Sabbath. His defense was very simple. He told them that their complaint was actually against God. He healed the man because God told him to do so. Apart from God, who could have done such a work? God had to be involved. So clearly, God works on the Sabbath. He just did. He raised a man who had been sick for 38 years. God does good for people on the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus defended himself by revealing to them how completely the Son is submitted to the Father. Being correctable, guidable, leadable, teachable, however you want to say it, is the most fundamental aspect of our relationship with God. We can't even enter that relationship without first surrendering our rebellion at the door. The original relationship was broken when our ancestors chose to decide right from wrong for themselves. And there is no coming back into that relationship until we reverse that decision. The American church does not want to offend you. Uh, they want you to keep coming and giving your money and participating and all. And so they don't want to tell you that you need to repent because the American public doesn't want to. Uh, now, everyone wants to go to heaven. So what we say is if you just say this prayer and say, I believe that Jesus died for me, that's all you need. And you can go to heaven. And you don't have to repent. You don't have to somehow bow your knee. You don't have to surrender. And, and uh, You could admit you're a sinner. I mean, pretty much anyone with any form of honesty realizes they've made some mistakes. But you don't have to take your will and give it back to God. You don't have to do that. You can still live your life. In fact, if you know how to pray properly, you know how to do some of these spiritual things, you can prosper enormously in this life. You can have a very, very good life with God helping you. How's that? How about that? How many want to receive him now? And that becomes our invitation to having God as our helper, to having God come and make things right, work for us. Let me tell you something, every religion on the planet has always, from all of history, that's what they wanted. You sacrificed the goat or whatever it was so you'd have a, a fertile harvest. If you wanted more children, you went and offered at a particular awful altar and did something, and, and that would make your wife fertile. I mean, people have always sought prosperity and blessing and things from God. Now, God is our source. He does give to us, and he does take care of his people. But at root of our relationship, if that's why I came to him, to get something from him, and I do not realize who he is and what the real relationship that's being expected of me, I have missed something very, very much. And, and I think you see in the American church a tremendous amount of people who are religious but are clearly not transformed. They're just opinionated and mean. But they are not different inside. Something has happened. We've raised our children this way. We've done all kinds of things. And it's really come home to haunt us. We have a mess going on right now. We really have a mess. And at the root of it is at the church. It comes back to this. How did, how did we lose our relationship with God in the first place? It was in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? 
And what was the issue? There was two trees, one with a, with a tree of life. If you ate that, you lived forever. The other tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You pick that fruit, then you will know good from evil for yourself. The whole issue was who decides right from wrong? Does he or do I? Adam and Eve, in picking that fruit, were saying that that was the temptation of the devil too, wasn't it? You, God, you're not going to die. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, you'll know for yourself you won't need him anymore. You can decide what's right and wrong for you. You don't need him telling you to do things. You decide what's right. That is the root. That's how we lost our relationship with God in the first place. That's how the human race severed from what we, our, our, our plan. Do you think anyone can come back to him without putting the fruit back on the tree? Do you think anyone can come back to him without bowing the knee and letting God be God in our lives? I don't believe you can. I don't believe we can. I believe we're fooling ourselves. It is repentance, or I would, repentance is almost too weak a word in a way. It's surrender and faith. I recognize who you are. You are my God, and I have been a rebel, and I've been independent, and I come back to you, and I, and I, I trust you now. I love you. I know that you are greater and wiser and better than I, and I will follow you and serve you. I want to live for you now. And I thank you for sending your beloved son to die for me. And I embrace his cross. And I trust you that you have washed my sin away. And you have made me right. And that I am welcomed into your very presence. And I am a son or a daughter of the living God. Do you, you hear what I'm telling you? I know I'm, I'm telling it straight. But it is, it is this side we're seeing right now. This is what John's illustrating in this man. Here's a man who has just been shown the light. Is there any doubt that Jesus... Is, 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 is certainly he would know he's the Messiah, if not understand the Son of God. And the man, when he's confronted and told to stop sinning, the man turns him in. Walking with God means letting him decide right from wrong on a case-by-case -case basis. But then as time passes, we discover that he's training us as children to understand why he does what he does. He opens our spiritual eyes to see the world as he sees it. He changes our attitudes until we love what he loves and hate what he hates. He, is, he does not want us to just stay in a situation where he's like, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. It's not that life. It starts there. When I'm brand new and I don't know up, no, yes, no, yes. But as time goes on, he's training us to think like he thinks. He's teaching us his ways. As time goes on, I'm old enough to look back and go, I am so sick of my own will. I know where it goes. I know where my own understanding goes. And, I, and in time, I, I began to see why I was so wrong. Dude, that's just pure experience. You know, somebody calls it wisdom. It's like, I don't want to hit that wall anymore. I'm tired of it. That's wise. Well, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> but I'm not proud of the way I learned it. <laughs> the, you, you begin to think like he thinks. You begin to understand. Yeah, I, I just, 
I keep pondering the things of, you know, right now, one of the things that's under attack is Leviticus, and particularly chapter 18, because it has the sexual standards. In America, that's, you know, an issue. And, and they make fun of things like, um, like the uh, dietary laws. They say, well, those are arbitrary. You don't do those, do you? So why do you have to do, you know, this? And um, it's that kind of argument. But the Lord's been showing me things as I read it. And he's, he's, been, he's been showing me that his, his, his laws had to do with this concept. You are now, if you recall this, a kingdom of priests, a royal nation. You are children of God. And there are behaviors and things that are beneath you. You will not live like that because you're holy. I'm holy and you are holy. You're a special people. It isn't a matter of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of come up higher. Why does he tell us not to eat certain things? If you look closely, he tells us not to eat dead things, things you find along the road. You all right with that? You know, no more jackrabbits, you know. (laughs) And he tells us, and don't eat things that eat dead things. Figure it out. Watch it. Don't eat things that eat dead things or, forgive me, eat excrement. There are fish that eat excrement. There are animals that eat excrement. You are a holy people. You are my sons and my daughters. You are a royal priesthood. Don't eat stuff that you find that's dead. Don't eat stuff that eats dead things. Don't eat stuff that eats poop. Does this start to make sense? Yeah, well, that's, I'm, I'm pretty old. And he, but he's starting to, he's showing me stuff like that. I go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want to eat stuff that eats poop. No. I got it. Think about it. And yet, how much time have we people spent in an immature mindset mocking those laws? And then you put it in that perspective, it's like, Oh, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Blood. Life is in the blood. God says, I'm the creator. All life belongs to me. You don't eat the blood. I'll give you the body. You leave the life to me. Does that make sense? Total sense when you understand what he's doing. But see, that's something you grow into. That's something he teaches us over time. But we have to trust him in the immature stage when we don't understand that his ways are right, even though I don't get it yet. But if I set myself up as the judge and say, well, pfft, I like stuff that eats poop. <laughs> can't tell me I can't. And he'll actually now in Christ, you can eat stuff that eats poop. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? You're free. Freedom. <laughs> I'd be interested to see what you go home and have dinner with. Yeah. Honey, I just changed the menu today. I can eat that. Anyway. Okay. That's a little bit of a tangent, but it's not. What I'm trying to say to you is God is in the process of raising you up to be sons and daughters so that you can rule and reign with him. This isn't a yes, no, by sort of a bifurcation, do, don't, do, don't. He's not looking for that relationship. He's training you as a father trains his beloved children. 
I love the end of, of, of Proverbs there, 3, where it says, he says, do not resent the correction of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he, he disciplines, even as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. He says he's training you. He's training you. He's not trying to ruin your life. He's raising you up to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to him, a people who will be resurrected and shine with the glory of the Lord forever. This is our destiny. See, we don't see it. And as time passes, we find his ways don't seem strange anymore. They now appear reasonable and right. Saying yes to him becomes easier and easier because we've grown weary of the bitter fruit that comes when we say no. Our leader, as much as we would like to view God as our friend, he is never our equal. He always remains our leader. Only Jesus can call him his equal. But even Jesus joyfully and continually surrenders to the Father's will. Listen to what Paul says. For he, meaning the Father, has put all things in subjection under his, Jesus' feet. But when he, the Father, says, all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he, the Father, is accepted. In other words, he's not part of that. Who put all things in subjection to him, Jesus. When all things are subjected to him, Jesus then the Son himself will also, notice, will also be subjected to the one, the Father, who subjected all things to him, Jesus, so that, the, so that God, the Father, may be all in all. You know what he just said? He's talking about the end of time. Paul is saying that God has ordained right now, the season you and I are living in, that his beloved Son, his eternal divine Son, be lifted up, as, and the Bible will talk about it, as his, as his proper reward for the sacrifice he's made for us. He, he is to be lifted up, and all creation is to come into submission to Jesus Christ. At the end of time, when this has all been done finally, Jesus, the beloved Son, will offer up to his Father a creation now submitted to him, so that the Father maybe all in all. It does not mean that Jesus... Let me, let me just talk about this for a minute. The Father is the Father. He is the source. Jesus is the divine Son of God. God hath begotten a Son from the beginning, and we know no more than that. Submission is not a sign of inferiority. My children, I'm their father. They, but how, they are not inferior to me. Do you notice? I mean, pfft, you notice. Yeah, if you know them, you do. They are, they are arguably brighter than I am. Uh, they, they are as human as I am. There is no distinction that way whatsoever, is there? And yet they honor me. Because, why? I'm their father. I'm their father. That relationship doesn't change. I'm still their father. I'll be their father I suppose, forever. That doesn't, that, that doesn't change. The Father is the Father. Je it says that Jesus literally will offer up the Son joyfully and continually submits to the Father and will forever. The Father raises his Son and says, Behold my Son. Worship my Son. You, are you following this? We do have a heavenly father. 
And he has sent us his begotten son who has died for us and is now Lord of Lords. Look at, look at these next quotes. We surrender because God the Father is the source. All things are from him. He is the source and for him, for his glory. You've been created, I've been created to, for him because he wants to love more. He wants, he wants sons and daughters to love and rejoice in. For from him, why don't you read that with me? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now read the next one. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. By whom? Jesus is the one, that's why John calls him the word, who spoke the worlds into existence. Jesus said, let there be light. The pre-incarnate Jesus. At the command of the Father. At the command of the Father. Through him, by him and through him. You and I come to God now through Jesus Christ. We are joined to him. That's why we are sons and daughters. That's why we're welcome into his presence. We come to the Father through Jesus. That's why we pray in his name. Clothed with him. Surrounded with him. We boldly enter into the presence of the Father. This dependence on him will never end. All life and goodness flow from him. So that any separation from him results in death and darkness and always will. Every time we worship, every time we gather to hear his word, every time we get up in the morning to read the Bible and pray until joy and hope return, we are choosing to be correctable. We are acknowledging who he is and who we are. We are learning to be his children by inviting him again to be our father. This is what Jesus came to give us. The right to become children of God. That means we can have the same kind of relationship with him as Jesus does. There is no other plan. There is no other future. Nor should there be. Thank heavens, the loving, pure, just all-wise God will be our Father forever. With that in mind, how is it possible to come to Him without surrender? That's our destiny. That's where it all goes. That's what, if you don't like that, you won't like the eternal life. Because that's what you'll be doing, is joyfully worshiping Him, joyfully surrendering to the living God forever. The Son joyfully surrenders to the Father forever. Wonderful and terrible. God has given each of us a gift that is both wonderful and terrible. A will that is able to surrender or rebel. Each of us is able to recognize that God is greater than we are and let him correct us. Or we can become like the man beside the pool of Bethesda. We can choose to stay in control. We can refuse to let God lead. We can resent him when he tells us to stop sinning. It's possible to stay uncorrectable until it's too late. And that would be terrible. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, 
just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.